Zhu. Hello. Welcome to a special edition of Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. Miigwech for joining us today. This is the second in a two-part series on the life and legacy of Clyde Belcourt. My spirit name is Niganwidan, or the thunder before the storm. And I like that a lot better than Clyde. But when I was born, we were forbidden to have an Indian name a name that came directly through vision, through ceremony, from the Creator to the Great Spirit. Naganawedan, the thunder before the storm, known as Clyde Belcourt, was from the White Earth Nation and was one of the founders of the American Indian Movement. He began his journey onto the spirit world on January 11, 2022. He was 85 years old. We are honoring Naganawedan's life and legacy by hearing from community members who knew him well, and who can share stories and shed light on the impact and legacy of Clyde Belcourt. Last time we heard about Clyde's impact directly from members of the community, heard about his mother's story and her influence on his direction. And if you haven't heard part one yet, we suggest you check it out. It's on mnnativenews.org. And today we hear more from those who knew Clyde and stories that they share about him. We'll also hear more about the pivotal moments Clyde Belcourt experienced in prison, moments that set him on a new path. You know, the American Indian Movement was really born out of our our own community members, and in particular, community members who were incarcerated, like Clyde was, um, who were tired of police brutality and and were making a statement against, against white supremacy. And... The American Indian Movement was an incredibly important organization and movement that existed um, during the Red Power Movement that advocated for Indigenous representation, that advocated for Native people to be able to practice their ceremony. And, and, you know, things today that we have, like the Land Back Movement, exist because of the great work that they did. That was Dr. Kate Bean who's a scholar and the executive director of the Minnesota Museum of American Art. In his early 20s, Clyde went to prison. And during this time, Clyde realized he wanted to change the world. And one day I heard a guy whistling, you are my sunshine, irritated me. I was laying there and he kept whistling, you are my sunshine. And all of a sudden I heard him say, is there a Clyde Belkert up here? I wouldn't answer him. I didn't want to answer. I didn't want to talk to nobody. I thought that's just the way it's going to be the rest of my life. And he just kept talking. I kept hollering. And I got up and I looked through that little peak hole. And here it was a full-blooded Indian. His name was Eddie Benton Benet. Right now, today, he's a 50-degree grand chief of the Medicine Lodge. And I asked him, I'm, I'm Clyde Belkin. We're looking at one another's eye. And he said, he started telling me a story. He said, you know, he said, I met a caseworker. His name is James Donahue. And he looked at the recidivism of Indian inmates. Every Indian inmate has been in and out of institutions all their life, and now they're here. And we figured that they're in here for the lesser crimes, but they're doing the most time, and doing more time in rapists. Maybe they just broke in a store to get some food or whatever, stole a car, you know, just doing their life away in prison, but they don't know anything about themselves. They have no pride, no culture and everything. And so we we're going to start an Indian education program here, cultural enrichment program, to help these young men like you learn about your culture and your way of life, your history, where you come from, your creation story. 
I said, why are you telling me all this? You know, I know I'm an Indian. Anybody says anything bad about an Indian, they got to fight. I don't give a damn if they're a guard or who they are. They're going to have to fight me. And he says, well, I'm going to help you. So he brought me a book called William Whipple Warren, The History of the Ojibwe Nation. And another book he brought me was called Black Elk Speaks. Why are you doing all this? And then he said, I'd like you to meet James Donahue. He introduced me to this Irish, he was a caseworker there. And all the Indians that came into the institution, Stillwater, he became their caseworker. All the other caseworkers, social workers, didn't know anything about Indians, so they'd give us to James Donahue. And I found out when he was a little boy, he had rheumatic fever and polio, and, and then his, his parents used to bring him books about Indians and culture. He fell in love with Indians, white, completely white. In that segment, Clyde Belcourt talked about two books that helped him in prison. History of the Ojibwe Nation, or History of the Ojibwe People, by William W. Warren, and Black Elk Speaks by John G. Nyhart. He'd also talk about reading in prison with Robert Pilot, the host of Native Roots Radio. Clyde Belcourt came on the show many times and shared his story with listeners. Here, Robert highlights how Clyde Belcourt found direction while in prison, which ended up paving the way for other Native inmates. The whole story is about the history of how he got out of his funk in prison, that this this would ended up being Eddie ended up being a medicine man and all these things that connected and I, I really like looking at my life because I always connect the dots backwards and just listening to the whole history. Next thing I know we were building a sweat lodge and we had a traditional power twice a year there. Now they're all over America. Almost every institution, federal and state, they have a drum. Women too, they have a drum and they have a sweat lodge. And Eddie Benton went on to become the Grand Chief of the Three Fires Society, which I belong to. I'm the chief of the Ogichida, of the Warrior Society within that lodge, and that just turned my whole life around. This was from 63 to 66, and I got out and the movement formed in 68. You're listening to a special edition of Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. This is the second part of a two-part series on Clyde Belcourt. We're looking back on the life and legacy of the co-founder of the American Indian Movement. We're visiting with folks who knew Naganawedan as they share memories and reflections on his life. Clyde Belcourt is known for many things. And in our two-part special edition, Naganawedan and the American Indian Movement, did more than we can possibly include. Dr. Brenda Child is a historian and professor of American studies. We usually start out by talking about what folks were reacting to in the 60s and early 70s. And of course, um, those were the termination and relocation policies that were sort of dominating Indian life um, at the time. AIM leaders fought against high unemployment, poor housing conditions, racism, and police brutality. The group fought for treaty rights, reclamation of tribal land, and advocated on behalf of urban Native folks who were born into poverty. They influenced education and pushed for and recommended that the United States support the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. I should also note that shortly following Naganaway Dunn's passing, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz declared Saturday, January 15th, 2022, as Clyde Belcourt Day saying in the proclamation, quote, Belcourt's fight for justice and fairness leaves behind a powerful legacy 
that will continue to inspire people across the state of Minnesota and the world for generations to come. His tenacity, bravery, and empowering leadership will not be forgotten. And with its deepest gratitude, the state of Minnesota recognizes Clyde Belcourt for his dedication to Indian country, unquote. So really, Clyde Belcourt and AIM accomplished so much. Much of the inspiration came while Clyde was in prison, doing lots of work for native inmates. And the movement got its start when the founders realized. If we could do this and help people in jail to get their life together and shorten the time from six years all the way down to three years in two-year period of time, then we should be able to do this on the street. So we came out with that belief and everything and that spiritual and technical skills and learning that we went through. We came out, we we're going to change the world. And we simply call it the Concerned Indian American Coalition. But after we formed, after six months of organizing throughout the we only had about 80 people show up. And most of them were women shortly after we formed. And we asked for a name because we didn't like Concerned Indian American Coalition, the acronym CIA. So we knew we had to change that. And so I asked the community to do that. Sure enough, one night I was coming into my office and a woman grabbed me by the shoulder. She was from Red Lake. Her name was Downwind, her last name. And she grabbed me by the stage. She said, why don't you just call it AIM? I says, what does that mean? She says, American Indian Movement. I oh no, I said, we don't want to call it Indian. Some pirate was 18,000 miles off his course and stumbled upon and she says to me, she says, listen here, Sonny. She says, Indians, what they use to oppress us, and Indians, what we're going to use to gain our freedom. I said, okay, 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 let's go. So she went in and proposed it to our board, and we voted, the board voted unanimously to call it the American Indian Movement. And you're aiming to do something about education, you're aiming to do something about health, you're aiming to do something about health, aiming to do something, aiming to do something about all our children that have been stolen from us and fostered out and broken up, whole families broken up, never to see one another. Again, that's what we're going to call it. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so that's how we become known as AIM. The elders, women, decide, made that whole decision. It's so great to hear Clyde tell that story. You get this sense of, you know, his personality, which is big mm -hmm. and formidable, but there's also a lot of humor and humility involved in his personality. Yeah, absolutely. And that is such a great example of him listening to others, taking their input, even though he is the person who is like out front and speaking, um, he's still taking those suggestions. Yeah. Um, all those audio clips we are hearing on our show today come from an interview he did with Niji Radio in 2015. Yeah, it's great to hear him tell these stories in his own words and to really hear his commitment in his words, it, it really shines through. Indeed. He never faltered. He always stayed committed to his community. He stayed here. He returned here. And he did a lot of work behind the scenes, too, that I think a lot of people aren't always aware of. And that, that history in terms of Indian education, that history in terms of looking at the cultural corridor in Franklin and Bloomington and Minneapolis, looking at Little Earth, you know, these, these places that have this, these, these really um, historical native presence that were the first, that, you know, this, this, this history of Minneapolis being the first in so many ways, uh, Clyde was involved in, in most of that. I know I talked to my uncles and a lot of them pretended to be Italian. 
back then until the American Indian Movement came out. And and that's a real thing. We were, uh, and then 10 years later, after the American Indian Movement came out, and of course, with Wounded Knee getting the publicity that did worldwide, uh, we were able to, I was a junior in high school and able to practice our own religion in 1978. So that's 10 years after the American Indian Movement and, and uh, the work that they put in worldwide. Again, that was Robert Pilot, host of Native Roots Radio. Robert mentions the American Indian Religious Freedom Act of 1978, which protects the rights of Native Americans to exercise our traditional religions, which included being able to access sites, use and possess sacred objects, and have the freedom to worship through ceremonials and traditional rites. Those activities had been outlawed and were previously punishable. Yeah, and AIM helped turn the tide in education, too. There could be pride in being Native, and that was reflected in education. Here's Dr. Kate Bean again. That impact they made on Indian education in particular with the creation of those early Native schools, like the Heart of the Earth Survival School, that's huge. And thousands and thousands of Native students over the years have felt that legacy and have been impacted by that legacy and have continued to make those contributions back into our communities uh, in, in that honor. And I have two little girls who go to the Badote Learning Center School and that Dakota and Ojibwe Immersion School exists today just like a lot of our native schools today exist because of people like Clyde. You're listening to a special edition of Native Lights where indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. This is the second part of a two-part series on Clyde Belcourt. We're looking back on the life and legacy of the co-founder of the American Indian Movement. We're visiting with folks who knew Naganaway Dunn as they share memories and reflections on his life. So for the rest of our time together here, we'll share stories and final thoughts from our guests on Clyde Belcourt. Artist Steve Primo, who is also our uncle, has a story he enjoys sharing about Clyde. For some context, uh, there's a famous photo of Clyde Belcourt uh, at the negotiations to end the occupation of Wounded Knee. And in the photo, he's wearing a buckskin poncho, and you'll hear more about that from Steve Primo. We're going to uh, to Rapid City for a um, protest out there in the jailing of uh, a young woman. and. Uh, I threw my clothes together in a little duffel bag and I, I threw a, a poncho I made, a, a buckskin poncho. And um, uh, and we went out there and uh, uh, we we did our, I was out there for, we were out there for about three days. Uh, I had to get back for work. Eddie Benton was just going, going back to St. Paul because he had to get to Red Schoolhouse. And he said, anybody else going back? So I, I jumped in the car with him. There's about three of us. So came back to, to the cities and I forgot my duffel bag. And in that duffel bag was my my uh, poncho, my buckskin poncho. And uh, I thought, you know, it, it went with the clothes. I, I didn't think about it any longer. I, it was probably lost to the to the, to the cause or, you know, to somebody who's take, taking it over. And, um, he came into the uh, he came into the art class, uh, and he 
he had the, he had my poncho and he said, I hear this is yours. And he threw it on my, my desk. And, uh, you know, I, I said, well, thanks. And, and we went on, you know, continued on with Heart of the Earth. And uh, a few years later, I was looking at some uh, photos uh, at the negotiation and negotiations of uh, Wounded Knee. And he was wearing that poncho. And uh, <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. But it was, uh, it was nice to know that he was watching out for the for the poncho because I I didn't think he knew it was mine. I mean, it was just a, an old duffel bag, probably in a, in a bunch of other people's duffel bags. But uh, he he brought it back and uh, uh, gave it back to me without me even saying, you know, this is mine. Look out for my poncho. Next, Bob Blake is the CEO of Native Sun Community Development and is the owner of Solar Bear and enjoyed many breakfasts with Clyde Belcourt. Here's Bob Blake. We were having breakfast at Kieran's last year, just sitting down with him. Uh, oh, by the way, I walk into Kieran's and I said, oh, could we get a, could we get a booth? Could we get a table uh, for the three of us? And the lady's getting the uh, menus and she sees Clyde walking in and she says, oh, we have his table ready for him. <laughs> Clyde had his table at Kieran's and they knew where to put him at and where he liked to go. And so that was like, I was like, oh, OK, so, you know, let's just do what whatever we do here. Then. And um, sure enough, that was the place and the table that we always sat at when we went to Kieran's. And here's Bob Rice, the owner of Powell Grounds Coffee Shop and Meeting Center on Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis. Last thing I'll say is, um, and I don't remember how to say his native name, but it's called Thunder Before the Storm. And that was Clyde. So this spring, when I listen to that, I'll be thinking of Clyde when those uh, when the thunder comes before the storm. And... Uh, I'll, I'll always hold that memory of him and uh, pray for his family and Peggy and his sons and his grandkids, and, you know, keep them in mind, pray for them. Here's Dr. Brenda Child, historian and professor of American studies, with more on the legacy of AIM from her perspective. The other thing that the American Indian movement is often remembered for in a very kind of positive way is how they approached issues of Native identity. That is, they were very good at making people feel great about being Indian, especially young people. And I remember, you know, those first t-shirts when people came up from Minneapolis and they were wearing long hair wearing t-shirts that said Indian and proud. And I thought, wow, what's this, what's this cool thing going on? And here is this new movement, which says it's very, um, it's a great thing to be a native person. And I know I grew up with that atmosphere. And so for me, I think it was a generational difference than out of say my mother who grew up in an era when 
when, um, you know, where you were looked down upon to be Native, and a lot of people internalized that. And again, here is Robert Pilot, host of Native Roots Radio. Those are big shoes to fill somebody that uh, basically put his life out there for the Native American community. But it's great history. It it was living history for a long time for us in the Twin Cities. And uh, I will miss Clyde's calls. I'll miss uh, seeing Clyde and, and telling him I love him. Um, he, in his last years, was a big teddy bear, and I, I really appreciate the time that I spent with him in these last six or seven years. Um, it's it's a rough time, you know. We we have a lot of great leaders leaving us, but we'll see them again someday, and I'm sure I'll see Clyde again someday. And um, we never say, as you know, goodbye. We say, see you later. There's Hajuoni and Ho-Chunk is see you later. Um, so we will see each other again. Next, Dr. Anthony Stately knew Uncle Clyde since he was a young boy. Dr. Stately is the CEO of the Native American Community Clinic and shares his memory. My, my last time I visited with him was at the Makato Powwow um, at Land of Memories Park this past September. So the last time I'd seen him in person. So I did, I went and found him and I sat with him and talked with him for a while and we joked and shared stories and, and then he talked about his cancer reemerging and his decision not to, you know, get treatment for it. And, you know, talked about wanting to have a quality of life that allowed him to sort of like, you know, be around as long as he possibly can, but also to, you know, be there for his aunt, his, his wife, Peg, who he loved dearly, right. His, was his, was his, the rock of his world. And, um, She's got poor health too, and he was worried about her, right? He was worried about his grandkids and his great grandkids, and he's worried about you know things that he's seeing in the community, right? And you know, we talked about all those things, and but I gave him a hug and I said, you know, thank you for everything you've given to us, and I pray for you and Peg's health, and if there's anything I can do that Matt can do, you know, um, to help you to serve you to make your life more comfortable, please reach out, you know. I love that I have a, a really wonderful last memory of him, that conversation we had at Land of Memories Park. Here's Dr. Kate Bean, scholar and executive director of the Minnesota Museum of American Art. And we're always incredibly supportive. Every time I, I, I see Clyde out in the community, he always stops and says hello and reminds me how proud he is of me and my sisters and, and congratulates us on things that, we, that we're doing within our community. Um, and that's just something that for me is going to really be deeply missed. And so just a, a reminder that you know, his his presence is going to be sorely missed, but the impact will be felt for generations to come. 
and his family, his, his children, his grandchildren that continue to grow up in these schools and continue to be contributors to, to our community are going to carry that legacy forward. He talked about our condition when the movement formed, everything was taken from us and the new people would stand up. And every one of the ceremonies I've been to said there was a movement stood up and say we want back what was ours. We don't want Minneapolis or New York or all these polluted cities. We just want the land and what goes with it, the hunting, fishing, wildlife, blueberries, everything that's on it. We want to protect that. That's who we are. That's the American Indian movement. And we're going to join in this struggle for survival and with other families that feel just like we do. But my, how I feel today, I want to help them. Clyde Belcourt, Naganawidan. Clyde Belcourt began his journey to the spirit world on January 11th, 2022, and his autobiography is called The Thunder Before the Storm, an autobiography of Clyde Belcourt as told to John Laurie, published in 2016. Chimi to the folks who shared their stories in these shows, Dr. Kate Bean, Dr. Brenda Child, Dr. Anthony Stately, Robert Pilot, Bob Rice, Steve Primo, and Bob Blake. gotta say Leah um, just as a you know final reflection uh, it was very humbling to hear from all these guests and and just hear from you know Clyde in his own words and see how much in, of an impact a single person Naganaway done had on Minneapolis and the world of course there's a lot of help along the way the aim movement and all that but he uh, he inspired a lot of change absolutely yeah um, and it's so many sectors so many ways that touched Native American life um, and prioritizing w- women and elders and all these ways in which culture was core to the movement. So I, I really enjoyed hearing from everybody. I learned so much just sitting down and talking with people. Um, these never heard before <laughs> stories. It's really amazing. Yeah, I learned a lot and I hope uh, the listener did too. So I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Gigawabaman. Gigawabaman. Audio of Clyde Belcourt today is courtesy of Niji Radio on the White Earth Reservation.
Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. If you want to hear more Native folks talking about their gifts and finding their purpose, search for Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine, wherever you find podcasts, and find all of Minnesota Native News' content at minnesotanativenews.org.